Good morning, Triumph Church. What a delight it is to be with you today. Hello, dear. It's so good to see you. Welcome home. I know that. I'm really excited about seeing Tina and Jessica's here somewhere. All of you, it's a delight to be with you uh, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Welcome to all of you watching on uh, the live stream. Uh, a growing audience are watching us uh, everywhere on the live stream, and we honor to have them with us in that way. I have a, a teaching for you in a moment that I believe is going to be a blessing to you. So welcome to all of you. If you're a guest here, I hope to uh, meet you immediately after the service. I try to race out to the foyer and catch as many as I can. So give me just a moment. I want to make sure that I get to meet you personally before you go. God bless you so much for being here today. A, a week or two ago, um, Ernest sent us an urgent prayer request for her beloved husband, Elvin. And uh, he had had a car accident and uh, needed prayer, went to the hospital, and uh, God did some wonderful things for him. And I wanted uh, Elvin to come up here and tell us about it. Bring me a mic here. Uh, come on up here, Elvin. I'm going to stand on the ledge and you stand on the bottom. <clears throat> How you doing, my friend? Doing you know this great. guy, what a testimony he has. And... Uh, what a tremendous uh, faith he has in God. And I want to take a few moments and then tell us about an experience he had where God really came through for him. Well, it's really, really, truly amazing because, you know, a lot of times that I remember I was getting ready to go to Louisiana. I'll start there because I was getting ready to go to Louisiana. And a friend of mine who's a cardiologist, he, he was saying, well, before you go, uh, I want you to wear this life vest because I... And he rushed around to another friend of his to get all of this taking place. Uh, and I went over to Louisiana, came back, and I was supposed to wear this thing for 90, 90 days. So 90 days went really great. And, but it started after 90 days. It's th this little device that you had to wear. It started going off. So whenever I would go into meetings and going places, I would take the battery out of it and I, because it was making all of this noise. Yeah. And so on to, to, to you know, and I, and I listened to the songs, and I was telling Pastor Renee that a lot of times when you hear and you read where people feel that, you know, you have friends, they'll say, hey, you know, when I get ready to go, uh, I'll ask in that last minute, I know you had that last breath, if you can ask, then, hey, you'll be saved. Well, you know, it's one of those things that on this day, on right after, really, <laughs> right after your 10th anniversary, yeah. uh, the next day, Monday, uh, you know, you plan your day. You think you're, you're just doing your normal day. I get up, I do my normal day. I had a, a 7 o'clock meeting. I was on the board of, uh, at the University of Houston. I went over there for 7 o'clock for that meeting. I got out around 10, and I had another meeting at 1 o'clock. And, and so that evening, I do my normal routine. I'm, I'm getting in my car, and I'm going down a road that I travel, ugh, I don't know, 10 or 20 years. And all of a sudden... I get to this light because I get to this light at Westheimer in Sage. And there's a Walmart right there. Now, I travel this road every day. 
And at that time, at 4.45, I died. Good gracious. I, I, I died. It was, it's like I went from this world, and when you, when you, when you die, you leave this, this, there's no more memory of this world. You have not one iota of a memory of this world. And I was dead for like about, and, and let me tell you how, how God is. So before I'm usually taking this thing out, I've had it out all day, the battery. So I say, just before I get in my car, I say, you know, I'm going to put this battery back in. So I put it back in, and now I'm at this light, but I die. And I go from Westheimer down Sage, and, and, and I'm looking, I, I, I see this road afterward, there's construction in this lane, it's just a one lane road. But I go from Westheimer to, to West Alabama, through West Alabama, and I hit a tree. And I'm thinking, how would I go? You know, I, it's so amazing. I'm thinking about it. A dead person driving a vehicle, going down a road, in, a, in one lane, no other car is, is touched, no other car is involved in this accident. And I go through down this one lane and go down across West Alabama and hit a tree. And it's, it's so amazing because when I come back, I'm sitting at this tree, and I see these people around me, and they're saying, I say, what is, what's wrong? And they're saying, no, the emergency say, don't move you. You can't go anywhere. I said, but I got to move my vehicle. My vehicle all crashed in and all of that. But... I don't know where I am because it's like I came from a world and I came back into this world and I'm saying, I say, where am I? And they tell me, they say, you at West Alabama and Sage. So I call Erna, I say, hey, I just had an accident. I just hit a tree. But I call and then my, my friend called me who's a cardiologist, he says, he says, you shouldn't be here. You're dead. You shouldn't be here. But you know what the most important thing is? That a lot of people are really afraid to die. You know, Satan have, a, have put a fear about dying. There's a, when you, it's like you have no time. You have really no time to ask God to come into your life, ask God anything. When you die, you die. It's, it, you have no warning. My, my routine was I'm doing this every day and I was going home. But people are truly afraid to die. And now with me, it's like it's so different because when they were singing Jesus deserve it. He truly is all power. He, he is really real. You, you realize that Christ is real. Yes. It, it's not just something Thank the Lord. That, that you think 
that we sing about, we read about, but the moment you die, there is uh, instantly you and you're you're away from here. There, this means nothing else to you. It has no more purpose. Those who are in it, they have to live in it and have to grow in it and have to be in it. And there's no certain time that you will, you will live and no certain time when you will die. But one thing for sure, when you close your eyes and you die, there's, there's Jesus. And I have found Thank the Lord. that with him, it's so much different now. I don't, I, don't, I don't worry about this world anymore. I don't worry about all of these things anymore. And relationship with him is so different now. Like when you're praying, it's so different now. When he's talking to you, it's so different now. Because it's not the same anymore. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, I just, it's like my, all of that, my, that life have died and it's over. And now I'm in a new life. Wow. And Jesus is really, truly just a blessing. And as he always said, give thyself, show thyself for a testimony for the things that he does. And just to think about being able to go from one for a block almost in a dead a dead person, I would love to be able to see a, a film of that that truck driving down with a dead person in it. Because and now you know, like death have you know I have no fear about it, and it's like you begin to wonder what what, what why am I here? You know I could why couldn't I just be where I was, why it was just so wonderful. And now, but I know God have a purpose. Yes, he does. And I know he have a reason. And I glorify him and honor him. So, Pastor, I just want to thank you for being able to share that Christ is alive. He is real. Yes, he is. And he waits on his people. And that Satan is a liar when he put fear in people mm -hmm. about leaving this world because this is not all that it is. No, because this is where you was born, and this is all this flesh you know, this world. But there is another world, and there is another world with Jesus Thank Christ. You Thank you, know, you uh, Jesus. You don't have to fear death oh, if no. you're ready for it. That's right. But the point is, you got to be ready. Amen. Because you don't always have that time to get things fixed and straight, no as way. he didn't. And, um, and then we also see in his beautiful story how that God's hand is on our lives. Amen. And he orders our lives, and he determines the day of our death. And uh, Satan can't have us no, until no. God's finished with us. Amen. That's right. Death can't take us until God says he can. So uh, I celebrate with you. And I Amen. rejoice. And do me one favor. Yes. Don't take that battery out no more. <laughs> I don't have it no more. <laughs> don't have it no more. Huh? No, I don't have it anymore. I'm good now. Okay, you're good. <laughs> Thank you very much. I love you, Elvin. Thank the Lord.
Elvin, you've got to write a book. This guy has got a lifetime of unbelievable stories and experiences because the hand of God has been on him from the start. And Have you written a book yet? We've got to have a book. I want to hear about the tennis shoe part. You've got to hear his story about his tennis shoes. How he got in the NBA and all that is just a remarkable story. God bless you, Elvin. Um, <clears throat> my precious wife is probably watching on live stream, so... Uh, Hello, honey. Sorry you can't be with us today. She's with her father. And uh, my wonderful uh, father-in-law, her dad, is 92. He's a World War II veteran. He's a, a profound Christian, and he's ready to go be with the Lord. He can't understand what, what's taken so long. Um, so Renee's been there most of this week, and she is taking care of him with her sisters and all that. And uh, uh, so she couldn't make it today. You know, we're going to Israel Wednesday, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Uh, timing seems to be really terrible for us to go to Israel. We don't know how that's going to work. We kind of have a tentative plan what we're going to do, but uh, we planned this a year ago, having no idea this would happen. We've got about 30 people going with us, and, you know, it's just a difficult situation. So she's spending all the time she can there with him here. And then we still plan to get on the plane on Wednesday, um, and we'll see um, uh, how that works out. Be sure and pray for Renee, her family, and Sister Marshall. She's 89. And Brother Marshall, uh, we just uh, can't hardly stand to say goodbye, but um, he's come to the end of his race, and he's ready. And we're like, if you're ready, we'll get, we'll get adjusted. So be sure and pray for them. It's a, a very painful time. Some of you that have lost your parents you know what she's going through. So don't forget to pray for her. Thank the Lord. Well, it's offering time here at Triumph. All right. I want you to look at me, look with me at Jeremiah chapter 30, if you'll throw that up for me real quick. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The new covenant is what you and I are in today as, as our salvation. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the, by the, and led, by the hand and led to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. Verse 33, look closely. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. One of the big differences in the Old, Testament, Old Covenant or Old Testament and the New is that in the New Testament, God writes His law in our hearts. He puts it in our minds. He takes an old heart out and puts a new heart in. Ezekiel described it as a heart of stone being replaced with a heart of flesh. And so in the Old Testament, it was, a, it was a, a series of rigid laws, rules, and regulations, a violation of which prompted a, a, a punishment. But in the New Testament, instead of us living by law, we live by grace. Instead of living by the mandate of do this or get punished, we live by a heart that has been changed so that we want to do what is right, we desire to do what is right, and we become our own policemen, enforcers. We live by the law that God writes on our heart, and it's not someone else imposing it on us. When it comes to tithe and offerings, we are, have the heart of givers. 
We love to give. We give because we want to. We don't give because we're afraid of God or because he has mandated it or he's threatening to take away our salvation if we don't. We give because we want to give and we love to give. We're tithers because we understand the 10% principle and we do that joyfully and we do that readily. We never regret or resent the offering time because it's a part of our worship and it's a part of our pleasure to be in relationship with God. And so thank you for your generous giving and your willing gifts. I'm glad I don't live in an atmosphere of, of mandate and demand, but I live in an atmosphere of grace and mercy, and the goodness of God prompts us to be givers. So thank you for your tithe. Thank you for your offering. God blesses us when we give. He pours His goodness out upon us when we honor His work and His kingdom. And so today, I thank you again for your generosity, your faithfulness. God bless what you're doing uh, for this church. It makes all the difference in the world. So please use an offering envelope. You can use uh, your bank card as you see fit. God bless you for that. You can also open the Triumph Church app and uh, push uh, a button there and give straight to the app. And that works really well. Uh, some give directly from their bank accounts by electronic check. That works well. It's a modern world, and we use all of those things to make it easy, convenient for you. God bless you. Father, we thank you for the abundance of your blessing on our lives. I thank you, Lord, that I have the heart of a giver, that I love to give, and you have put that love in my heart. And with all the people, you have given them a desire to support your kingdom and support your work in the earth. I pray a blessing upon them according to their gift and their desire to be a part of your finances. I pray, Lord, a blessing on every business, every individual, every family. May the good hand of God be upon us all in this way. In Jesus' name, and everyone say amen. amen. Uh, so next week, Steve Miller is going to be with us. Steve is a, I'm sorry, Steve is a, a friend and a very qualified minister. He was with us about two years ago. And I got so many really great reports from the congregation about the quality of the word that he brought. I, my mind went back to him knowing I would be in Israel. My mind went back to him and he'll be with us next week. He's the original strong man, um, has several records set. He's in the Guinness's Book of Records and holds a couple world titles um, and uh, preaches the gospel and uses his strength to illustrate um, the power of the kingdom. And so uh, I'm going to show you a quick video, give you an idea of what's ahead. This would be a good time for you to bring your family and friends, people that uh, uh, would be of interest. So. Uh True worship, true worship 
and I would like to uh, take another step um, in that direction here this morning. Um, so, are you ready to study? True worship, we're studying from the book of John chapter 4. Um, I want to let you in on a little secret about me and Renee. I can read her mind. I know what she's thinking. I know what she's going to do and maybe what she's going to say before she even knows what she's going to do or say. I mean, after 42 years, believe me, I can read her mind. I know what's going on in her head. And you know what else? She can read my mind too. She knows me better than I know myself. And she says things that I'm going to say and do before I've even thought to do it. It ain't right, but it happens. Why is it that when you live with someone a long time, you learn to know what they're thinking when they haven't said a word or exposed it? How many of you married couples feel the same way? And sometimes, you know, your wife will come in and you'll say, what's wrong, honey? She said, nothing. And you know that's a big fat lie. How did you know that there's something wrong? Well, it's just the way she walked in. Well, what was it about the way she walked in? Well, it's a lot of tiny little things that communicate a very clear message. She is ticked about something, and nine out of ten times, I'm it. (laughs) But we learn how to read body language. We learn how to look at someone and get a feel, an idea of their frame of mind, what their motives or intentions are, or what they're about to do. We learn how to read body language. As a matter of fact, scientists tell us that 70 to 90 percent of all communication is body language. It isn't just words that come out of our mouth, but it is our body language. And one of the great dangers of the electronic age of communication where we're sending texts to everyone and we're sending emails, there is an absence of body language. I can't tell you how many times I've sent a text to someone that misunderstood my message or the way I was feeling or my my response because it didn't have any body language to communicate my real heart. Words can be harsh. They can be cutting. They can easily be misunderstood because it's just raw words without body language to support it. If they had heard me say that, if they had heard the, my voice, my re- inflection, if they had looked into my eyes and see the frame of mind I was in, they might not have misunderstood or been offended. But when you take the raw words by themselves, there's room for miscommunication. Because 70 to 90% of what we say to one another is in our facial expressions and our body activity. It's not just human animals, but it's also our pets. You have, uh, some of you have a little dog at home, and you know what mood that dog's in. He can't speak English, he can't talk and say anything, but you know when he's happy, when he's sad, you know when he's sick or upset or something's wrong or he's frightened. You just read his body language and you know it. We do that about all animals. Some of you may have birds, I have horses. They can't speak English, but we watch those horses and we know what frame of mind they're in, what they like, what they don't like, and they're communicating to us with body language. And so much of learning how to uh, ride a horse is learning how to communicate with body language. He doesn't understand my words, so I have to communicate with body language that he can understand, and that's, that's how horses are trained, and that's how they perform, is through communicating strictly by body language. 
So body language is extremely, extremely important. Have you ever thought about what your body is saying to God? Have you ever thought about what your body is saying to God? You see, God reads body language for sure, and He reads it 24-7. So every waking moment, there might be a message that I am communicating to God with my body language. True worship that we read about in the book of John chapter 4 includes your spirit, your mind, your emotions, and your body. True worship incorporates the whole being. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 12, verse 30, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so the way we worship God and love Him is with our whole being, and our body language must be saying to God what our heart is feeling. We love God, and so we say it with our body language. Today I'd like to take these wonderful time, moments with you and talk to you about the body language of worship. Are you ready? So in John chapter 4, Jesus said this, verse 23, but the time is coming and indeed is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I talked to you last week how that when Jesus came on the scene, He brought a new covenant and He instituted a new order of worship. So the way they worshiped in the Old Testament and the way we worship here in this New Testament age or New Covenant age is somewhat different. Here's some of the main differences Jesus ushered in. First of all, in the Old Covenant, um, worship was ordered around Jerusalem. And so Three or four times a year, maybe more, people would go to the Jerusalem to worship God, and there, that was the geographic center. But in the New Covenant, it would absolutely be global because Jesus saw the 21st century, how that there would be local churches all over the planet that would be gathered together to worship God in spirit and in truth. So it moved from being geographically centered around Jerusalem to being a global church. Secondly, uh, it would become a universal church, whereas the Old Testament was about the Jewish people, and that's the, the center and the focus of God's attention, and was indeed God's family. But it was going to move from being Jewish only to being universal and incorporate every race, tribe, kindred, and tongue all over the earth for all ages. Thirdly, instead of there being a central form of government in Jerusalem that, that would um, execute the religion, if you might say, uh, it would be Spirit-led all over the world. The Holy Spirit would create nucleuses and networks of relationship, and the Holy Spirit Himself would be the, the, uh, um, the, the uh, principal, the chief leader, wherever it was all over the planet. And so the fourth thing that Jesus changed, and I mentioned this last week. I'm just giving you a review. It's important. Uh, as you study the Bible, you've got to see this is that whereas in the Old Testament they offered animal sacrifices and they literally brought animals by the thousands to the tabernacle, the tent, 
and they would slaughter those animals, butcher those animals, a portion would be burned, a portion would be eaten by the priest, and in some cases the congregation would eat a portion. So it was a, it was a live sacrifice, butcher an animal, burn part of it, and it was uh, that kind of an event. But in the new covenant, Jesus would change that where there would, he would become the ultimate final sacrifice, the final blood sacrifice would ever be offered and that God would recognize. And then it would transfer from the sacrifice of a living animal, it would transfer to the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of singing and worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And of course, this latter is what we're focusing on in this study. In Hebrews chapter 14, verse 15, it says, Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to His name. And so the sacrifices you and I offer today are not blood sacrifices, but they're the sacrifice of praise and adoration to the Lord, the things we offer up to Him to proclaim um, our allegiance and our love and admiration for God. And so that's why you and I come and we worship and we sing and we clap and we, we stand and we kneel and, and we sit. And all of these things are a result of the fact that Jesus brought in a new covenant and that would be the sacrifices um, that He would accept. In the Old Testament, people would bring their animals, maybe some grain offerings. To every time they came to the house of God, they would offer it to the Lord. But you and I come with not just uh, an animal to sacrifice. We don't have to do that. But we come with our praise and our adoration to the Lord, and we offer that as a sacrifice unto Him. So worship is communicating our love to God. It's, it's what we do. We come in and we say, we love you, we adore you, we submit our hearts and lives to Him, and that's what worship is all about. Uh, you know, we communicate with our wives, our children, our friends using body language all the time. Um, we learn how a soft touch, a caress, a kiss, uh, a gentle hand is a way that we communicate to our wives, our children, our grandchildren, even our friends. We communicate love and affection and admiration. We value people with our body language. And so uh, when we come into the house of God, we use our body to say to God, we love you and we adore you. In the same way that you might... Um, give your wife a kiss or your husband a hug or, or you might put your hand on, on their shoulder in some way embrace them it's a way of saying I love you I value you you are precious to me when we come in the house of God we lift our hands we sing songs all of that is communicating to God how much we love and adore him so we use our body language to say to God we love you in the same way that we use our our fam our use it with our families as well. So ask yourself the question, what have I said to God with my body language here this morning thus far? What have I said to God with my body language this morning in this uh, time of worship? You know, um, we have to learn how to be comfortable showing affection. Uh, in our 42 years, probably my wife's greatest complaint or our plea for me to make changes and improvement has been to be more affectionate toward her. 
Uh, I, I don't need a lot of affection. I thought I was giving affection, but I wasn't giving a lot. I wasn't giving enough. And uh, through 42 years, I've done better. Not that I'm a role model, but I've done better because I realized that it isn't enough just to say I love you. You have to show you love. You have to be affectionate. You have to communicate it in other ways than just words. And um, so, you know, husbands have to learn how to be affectionate. They have to learn how to communicate in other ways than verbal to say, I love you. You are precious to me. You are valuable to me. And we have to learn how to be affectionate to God. And you don't always grow up in an environment where you're, where you're singing and lifting your hands and worshiping God. You get saved, you come in the house of God, you're like, what do I do and why do I do it? And, and you have to learn how to be affectionate and learn how to use body language to say to God, I love you and I thank you for my salvation and the blessings that you have on my life. It's important that we show affection to God and we use our body language to make it happen. Can you say amen? Are you with me so far? Amen. All right. Now, <clears throat> we must say on the outside what we're feeling on the inside. So when a husband doesn't show affection toward his wife, it doesn't mean he doesn't feel it on the inside. It just hadn't gotten on the outside yet. So you can feel love and affection towards someone and, and it not ever get on the outside. So praise and worship in the house of God is about putting on the outside what I'm feeling on the inside. You know, I think it's safe to assume that people in the house of God on Sunday morning, it's because they believe in God, because they love God, and they're thankful for His goodness, and He's important in their life. But just like a husband can love a wife and never be affectionate and really show their love, we can love God and be thankful for His goodness, but never really show or demonstrate our love to Him. The problem is sometimes uh, our image, our self-image. We don't have the right image. And if we were to be affectionate, if we were to be a verbal or, or demonstrative in our love for the Lord, it might contradict our uh, self-image. We have to develop a self-image that includes affection for those we love around us as well as for God. I want to challenge the men especially today to be a worshiper and to express your love and adoration to God. I don't think being feminine is, be, is equivalent to being uh, um, spiritual. I realize that God made women unique and wonderful, and they have a great spiritual uh, expression, and we admire and love that. I don't have to become feminine to be a true worshiper. I don't have to, to cry as much or feel as much emotions. I don't, I don't have to do some of the wonderful things that you ladies do to, to be a worshiper. I can be a man and be a worshiper and not lose one ounce of my masculinity. As a matter of fact, a great man loves his wife, is affectionate toward his wife and children, and he also loves God and is affectionate toward God. <clears throat> Thank you. So, we got to make it happen on the outside like we're feeling it on the inside. We all know how to do it. We just have to do it. Um, we also know how to cover up. We know how to cover. Like if you're not feeling right on the inside and you're kind of sorting through some things inside, some negative things, we all know how to put a smile on and to cover. We all know how to act one way even though we're feeling another way. Are you with me here today? You, you know how to cover. You know how to... You know, because you realize if you're not careful, you'll be communicating something that you really want to hide, and you want to work through it. 
And so we all know how to cover. We know how to feel one way but act another way until we, we work our way through it. And I think that that is true about a worshiper. Um, we have to be certain that we're acting on the outside like we're feeling on the inside. And sometimes um, if we say it on the outside, we'll start to feel it on the inside. If we say it on the outside, we'll start to feel it on the inside. Not everything that you do do you feel 100% when you start to do it. But if you keep acting it out, it becomes something that is real, authentic, and something you feel on the inside. If you act out love and affection, kindness and tenderness, you'll start to feel love, kindness, and tenderness. So sometimes, um, sometimes we're not feeling it, but we're acting it out, and it's okay. You know, I've got six wonderful grandchildren, and uh, five of them are old enough to play ball now, and I, I watch as much of that as I can. And, and so uh, Randy, the real deal, Clark, my namesake, he's 10 years old, and he pitches uh, in baseball. And so, um, you know, I go to watch him play baseball, and he's a stout kid, and he's got a real strong arm, and he can throw a real uh, hot fastball. But um, like most pitchers that are real strong and have a real good fastball, they don't always have as much control. And so there's some days he can smoke it, and when he's on, they win. And other days, he can throw it fast, but he can't control it, and he's outside the strike zone. And so the coach will leave him in there for about two, two innings and pull him out real quick because it's, he's just not on that day. Well, he'll throw one or two fastballs on a bad day, and uh, it'll be outside the strike zone. He'll walk one, one batter, walk two batters, and boy, he starts getting upset with himself. And you can tell all over his face, he's upset, he's disgusted, he knows he's off, and he's trying his best to pull it together, but he slumps his shoulders, kind of sticks out his lip a little bit, and you can just look out there and say, today he's having a tough day, and he feel, he's feeling defeated. So Papa trying to do his best to help, you know, I pull him off the side of the sun. When, when, you, when you walk somebody, you can't let your shoulders slump. You can't mope back to the mound. I know you're feeling really upset with yourself. I understand that. I know how hard you're trying. I know you're struggling today. But you can't let your body language say, I'm defeated. Your body language is saying, I can't do this. Your body language is saying, I'm mad at myself. What's wrong with me? You've got to act Put, put your game face on and hold those shoulders up and look at that batter and let him know you're fixing to burn one right by him and he's going back to the dugout. you got to say that with your body. And every athlete in the world knows that's the way you play the game. you got to put that game face on and you can't ever show your opponent that you're struggling or that you're doubting yourself. you got to put that game face on. Well, you know what? We might not be playing some kind of ball, but life is that same way. You've got to act like on the outside the way you want to feel on the inside. And when you start acting out that way, it won't seem consistent or congruent. It won't feel real. But if you'll keep acting it out on the outside, pretty soon you'll start feeling it on the inside. So act on the outside the way you want to feel on the inside. If you want to feel love, act out love. If you want to feel compassion and tenderness, act it out, and it will start to become real to you on the inside. I've used this illustration more than once. To me, it speaks loudly. Uh, how that... Uh, they did a study on the emotion of an individual that was going through a real-life situation of great tragedy. And then they handed a script to an actor, a professional. And the actor acted out the tragedy 
the real life person was going through. And they measured the depth of emotion in the person that was actually in the situation with the depth of emotion of the actor that had been handed a script and was acting out that event. And they found out that the actor's emotions were as genuine, as real, and as strong as the person that was actually going through it. The fact is, the actor was handed a script and they played out a role, and they reconfigured their face and their body language to what the script said, and because of that, it produced the same emotion in them that the person that actually had the experience was going through. So it proves this point, that when you're going through tough and difficult times, act out the way you want to feel on the inside. Say what you know is right, do what you know is right. Now, I've had friends in my life that would say something like this. Well, I just have to be honest. Well, I certainly don't think we ought to be dishonest. But at the same time, you've got to learn how to change the way you're feeling on the inside. People that never learn how to change their emotion and what they're feeling on the inside are headed for trouble and disaster if they don't learn how to turn it around on the inside. When you're having a bad day, you got to learn how to turn it around. When you're going through a dip, you got to learn how to turn it around. You can't just give up to it and say, well, this is the way I am today. Just deal with it. Say, no, this is the way I started the day, but this is not the way I'm going to finish the day. So by changing your outward expression, changing your body language, automatically you're starting to reverse what you're feeling on the inside. And so you can either use body language to express what you're feeling outwardly or you can turn it around and start to express outwardly what you're hoping to feel on the inside and until the two become the same. Give me another great big amen. amen. <clears throat> what is your body language saying to the devil? What is your body language saying to the world around you, people you work with and interact with? What is your body language saying? You know, it's always saying something. Even when my mouth is closed, my body is still speaking. Even, even when I'm not saying a word, my body is still speaking. What is my body language saying to the devil? What is my body language saying to the world around me? So my youngest daughter, granddaughter is six, and she's playing basketball, and it's a real hoot. Uh, this is her first year. And so she's learning offense versus defense, and she's learning how to keep her hands up in defense, and then she learns how to run down there and post up, and the little point guard comes down, throws the ball, and she shoots, and it's a, it's a fun thing to watch. She's starting to, starting to put the game together. It's a lot of fun. So I was watching her, uh, I guess it was last Saturday morning, I went over to see, see the little girl play, and, and she's running back up and down, and all these little six-year-old girls are running back and forth and back and forth. It's the cutest thing in the world, and um, we're, we're having fun, and, and so... Um, so she, she uh, ran down there, got in her position. Her little teammate threw her the basketball, and she reaches up and pushes it up, and it drops in. That was her first basket ever, first basket ever. And so she throws it up, and she waits a moment, just kind of in disbelief that it really went in, you know, <laughs> like, is this really real? Did it really go in? And then she turns around, and she looks me straight in the eye up in the stands. Without even thinking, the first person she turned to was me, 
in them stands. Look in her papa right now. Of course, I went, yay! Now, you think about the body language that took place in those fractions of a second, the communication there. What happened? She was too far from here to what I was saying. It was, I was, we were not having a conversation. All she did was turn around and give me the biggest little look at me, just waiting for me to give her the approval. And when she saw my approval, this big old smile just exploded on her face, and she just floated down to the other again. That was it. The, the, her day was made. But it's body language, and, and it's how we can give people great gifts and rewards, and we can make them feel wonderful things just with our body language. A smile goes a long way. A real warm handshake can really matter. A gentle embrace makes a lot of difference. And we can help people through life if we just learn how to use our bodies to communicate. It's a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. The saints of God need to know how to use this powerful tool from day to day to day to day. And uh, <clears throat> sometimes when I get to the house of God, I don't feel like worshiping. I got things on my mind. I got things going on. I just don't feel like worshiping. Just don't feel like it. But I worship anyway because it's time to worship. And I worship anyway because God's good to me. And uh, I owe Him my worship. I was created to worship Him. This is my divine purpose to worship Him. This is why I exist to worship Him. So even when I don't really feel like it, I jump in there and I start worshiping because uh, I know that's what I was created to do. And the more I start to worship, the better I feel on the inside. When I first, they start the first song, usually my mind is in a million places and I'm doing this and doing that and, and I got things going on mentally. But if we just keep singing the same song and worshiping God together, it starts to kick in and we all start to shed all of our thoughts of the, our lives and what's going on in the world and we start coming together and our minds get together and we start worshiping God together and with our mouths and with our bodies we're saying to God we love you we adore you and together we're offering the sacrifice of praise the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name so even when I don't feel like worshiping I worship anyway and when I act it out on the outside it starts to get very real on the inside. King David modeled New Testament worship even though he lived during the Old Testament, Old Covenant times. You see, throughout the Old Testament, they brought blood sacrifices to the temple and offered it to God. But there was a 40-year segment of time when David was chosen to create a worship order that would not fully come into play until Jesus the Messiah came. For 40 years, it's called the tabernacle or tent of David. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was a piece of furniture in the tabernacle where the glory of God, the condensed presence of God was right there in that Ark of the Covenant. Well, a long story, but the enemy stole the Ark of the Covenant, so the presence of God was not in Israel because the Ark had been stolen. Well. The enemy found out that they were having lots of problems because they didn't have a right to the Ark of the Covenant. And so they asked David to come and get it. And so David went and got it, and he brought it back to Jerusalem. But now there's no tabernacle. They were in between the tent of Moses 
and the temple of Solomon, David's son. And so there was no place to put the ark. And so David erected a big tent. For 40 years, the ark of the covenant was in the tent. And David ordered worship according to something that was going to be a thousand years in the future in the New Testament. For 40 years, he wrote psalms and songs and created musical instruments. He raised up choirs and orchestras. And he hired them out of the tithe and offerings of the people. And he hired them to sing and play music. And there was orders and they had structure and they had a schedule. And they worshiped God in this tent around the Ark of the Covenant. And they offered the sacrifice of praise just like we're doing today. And so for 40 years, he modeled New Covenant worship. Then the temple was built. Solomon moved it in and that era was over but it was a prophetic model in the New Testament Jesus came to reinstitute that 40 year model of how to worship God and we know that because Amos had said in the chapter 9 verse 11 that God was going to restore the tent or tabernacle of David he was going to bring it back and then James the Apostle in Acts chapter 15, he said this, After this, I will return and rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up. So Amos prophesied it was going to happen. James stands up, refers back to that prophecy, and said, This is the day. God has restored that 40-year model of worship, and that's how we are going to worship in this new covenant. And James the Apostle confirmed that in Acts chapter 15. And so it's significant to know that in David's lifetime, he was chosen to create the model that would not be used for yet another thousand years, but it would become our instruction on how to worship God. It would be our teaching on how to worship God in spirit and in truth. It was given to us a thousand years before Christ, a thousand years before it would be fully instituted, but he wrote it, and it's called the book of Psalms. There's also some great teachings in the book of Chronicles and 2 Samuel where we learned how to do what we're doing from David. So that's why we go to the Psalms. That's why we go to the Psalms and we say, what does the Psalms say about how to worship God? Well, pastor, isn't the Psalms like, that's Old Testament stuff. Is that the way they did it then? Well, during the times of David, they did it like that. It was all prophetic. So you and I could go back to the psalm now, read through the psalm, and see how we are to worship God today. How many of you got that? The Tabernacle of David. The psalms teaches body language in worship. The psalms teaches us how to use our body to say to God, we love you, we adore you, and we are thankful for your goodness and blessings in our lives. So I want to show you some of the things that the Psalms does that teaches us how we're supposed to worship today. I'm going to go through this quick, and then we'll come back to it again, but I will just give you an overview. And uh, I should have some PowerPoints to help me get through this faster. Psalm 34 and 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. That's speaking. Psalm 27 and 6, Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At the tabernacle I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. So shouting is appropriate in the house of God. 
singing Psalm 47 sing praises to God sing praises to our King sing praises so singing is appropriate even if you can't carry a tune in a bucket singing is appropriate we're not going to give you a mic but we want you to sing Uh, here's another here's some more body language how about bowing Psalm 95 and 6 come let us bow down in worship standing my flesh trembles in the fear of you I stand in awe of your laws Psalm 119 Psalm 149 let them praise his name with dancing and with music to him with tambourine and hearts dancing is a biblical art of worship playing instruments in Psalm 33 how about this? To Psalm 37, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to the Lord. Clapping is appropriate. Psalm 63 and 4. I will praise you as long as I live, and, and in your name I will lift up my hands. The body language of worship. How about this? Psalm 95 and 6. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Kneeling is an appropriate way to worship God. How about this? Prostrating. Revelations 4 and 10. The 24 elders fell down before Him who sat on, sits on the throne and worshiped Him who lives forever and ever. They fell down flat on their faces. It's another way that we worship God. How about this? Psalm 4 and 3. Be still and know that I'm God. So sometimes we just be still. We don't do anything. That's another body language that we use to connect with God. All right? So I could go on and on, but I think you get the picture. If you're going to worship the way the Bible teaches to worship, there's some body language involved. And we use our bodies to worship God, just like we use body language to communicate to someone we love. We use body, our body language to communicate to God. All right? Y'all ready? All right? Stand up. Y'all want to get with us on this? All right, stand up. So, let's start with our hands. Let's give our the Lord a hand clap, all right? Clap your hands. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord, all right? We're saying to God, you are our sovereign Lord and you are our sovereign King. We surrender our hearts, souls, and minds to you. We reach up in the heavens for your help and your goodness. Sometimes we wave our hands at the Lord, all right? Wave our hands at the Lord. Sometimes we stand. Sometimes we kneel. Sometimes we lay out flat. Don't do that right now. It's okay. It's okay, but not right now. All right? Sometimes we dance. Oh, Jonathan's got it going on over there. Oh, look at these girls. They can do it. I can't dance. It gets desperate when I dance. It's a desperate situation. But we dance before the Lord. We shout to the Lord. We sing to the Lord. All these things are, are the way we worship God. It's the body language of worship. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. And I want to encourage you to use your body to say, I love God with all of my heart. I'm thankful for His blessing in my life. Be expressive. Be alive. It's the New Testament order of worship. So I asked him to give me some words that I feel like 
express the kind of worship we enjoy and we would like to perpetuate here. So what are those words? Throw them up for me. How about passionate? How many of you want passionate worship? Passionate worship. Here's another good word, fervent, fervent. How about this, energetic, energetic, energetic. What about this, contagious? I want the kind of worship that people find themselves doing things they've never done before. Feeling comfortable about expressing themselves to the Lord in a way they've never felt comfortable before because we're all doing it, it feels right at home. How about this, powerful. Man, I, I want powerful worship. I, I want worship where people's lives are touched and changed and they're healed and, and they're reconciled and their attitudes change. I want powerful worship. I want impacting worship. I want people to come in that don't know Christ, don't understand what we're doing, but they're impacted. They're just impacted. They, they know it's real. They know something happened. They don't understand it all, but they, they want Jesus in their life. That's impacting. How about this? Culturally diverse. Culturally diverse. I, I don't want to fit everybody into a certain culture of worship, but I want this to be culturally diverse where people that have a, a different personal culture can express that personal culture in their worship to God. Every church sets limits. Every church sets boundaries. We have our limits and boundaries, but we want a culturally diverse worship service. We want youthful. 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 We want it to be youthful. When young people come in here, we want them to see young people on the stage, young people playing music, young people worshiping God. And I make no bones about it. We cater to the young because we love the young. We value the young. And we want them in our place of worship. Youthful is very important to me. How about this? Orderly. I don't like chaos. I sure don't like confusion. So what we do, we kind of do it together. If I ask you to stand, please stand. If I ask you to sit down, please sit down. If I say, let's worship God, let's worship God. If I say, sit still, let's sit still. If it's time to sing, it's time to sing. It's time to listen, it's time to listen. But we do it in order. We do it together. And so uh, I, I don't like chaos. I don't want everybody in the building doing their own thing, you know. Some in this corner and some in that corner. And it's everywhere all over the building. Everybody's got to got their own thing going. No orderly. We use this altar as a place where you approach the Lord. And, and people want to come and worship in this altar. It's appropriate to come and worship in this altar. You don't have to, but if you want to, you can because this is the altar and it's what it's for. And so I wanted to take this time to encourage you personally and encourage you as a congregation uh, to have the kind of worship that you look forward to, the kind of worship that you can't wait to get to the house of God, the kind of worship that changes you when you're finished, the kind of worship that you want to bring your friends to and you're not afraid they're going to be offended or freaked out, the kind of worship where they can feel something that's genuine and real because it's genuine and real in our hearts. That's the kind of worship we want here. Can you say amen? Thank you for giving me a couple extra minutes here today. I didn't quite get it all done, but um, I think you got the message. The body language of worship. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward. We'll close our service now. Uh, and if you need prayer or ministry for anything in your life, these people are here to pray with you.
about anything you want to pray for. You don't have to tell us any secrets or anything personal. Just give us some general thing in your life and we'll pray. God knows all the details. He's going to do the work anywhere. We're just going to be a bridge between you and God. So if you need prayer or ministry for anything in your life, please come forward. We want to pray with you right now. This is not about church membership. This is not about doctrine or denomination or any of those things. It's just about do you need help from God? That's what we're here for. So we'll close with the altar open and everyone that needs prayer for anything is more than welcome to come down. Thank you for giving us this time this morning. I very much look forward to seeing you again uh, real soon. Pray for us. We'll be in Israel. Watch us on Facebook. I'm going to be posting some stuff. Steve Miller will be with you next week. Uh, Pastor Durbin's in charge. And we'll be back the very next Sunday. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May goodness and mercy follow you. The glory of the Lord overshadow you and the Holy Spirit empower you. I bless you all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great week in the Lord.